Welcome back to the Dosebringer Podcast. It's Friday. We're here. It's very warm. I no, it's not. I don't so know what warm. you're talking about. All these lot moaning about being warm. No, it's not. <laughs> okay, I'm warm. My subjective reality at the moment is warm. Uh, hello, I'm Matt Jarvis. I'm joined by Alex Lollies and Alex Meehan. Welcome hey. back. Hello, Double how are trouble. you? Hello. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm good. I've got posts, some posts, lunch sleepies. Uh, I think that's a general feeling in, in the the podcast at the moment. They're going to try and hype hype each other up. Uh, it was a busy day today. We were working on a se- well, not that secret, secret. But a secret project that's been in the works for a while and was was very fun. But also, the schedule meant that we only had first thing this morning to actually do it. Yeah, so, so like, nine a.m. Nine, everybody lining up. <laughs> Everyone I, I love that into... we're like, oh god, we had to we had to work from nine a.m. today. I it's know. Like, you know, most people you have do to be that on camera. Day. Normally, like yeah. being on camera from nine is very different to I'm going to answer some emails and slowly kind of like drum myself up to the rest yeah. of the day. True. Today was like time to go. Like, be funny, be entertaining. Look, the world <laughs> has its eyes on you <laughs> right now at nine a.m. on a Friday. Yeah, but um, no, I'm good. I feel like I've had a string of bad luck lately, uh, just with weird, not great things happening. <laughs> um, yeah, I dislocated my knee last week, which was an experience. Wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> so recently I've had old, like, 80-year-old women, like, zooming past <laughs> me on the paper. <laughs> But um, I'm slowly recovering. But apart from that, Matthew Jarvis, I am all right. How about you, Lolis? I'm great. And welcome to episode number 74, Candy Store. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that 50 Cent song. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I'll take you to no. the candy store. Do, boo, do, boo, for one taste of what I... Yeah, the lyrics, the lyrics of that song. I remember repeating, yeah, that came out when I was like, I don't know, about 13, 14. I remember Mm. being obsessed with it, but obviously, clearly not really realizing what it was about. Yeah, Um, not understanding. That is it. I know all the words. That's one that I could do a karaoke easily. (laughs) I don't feel about that. I don't know. (laughs) Can you imagine if, I like, do... at the Christmas party, I get up in front of the whole company and I do candy shop? <laughs> uh, to be honest, by that point, uh, I presumably I'd had a few drinks, so I'd probably be cheering you on. Yeah, that's true. It's true. It's the end of the night, isn't it? <laughs> that and um, uh, Snoop Dogg, Drop It Like It's Hot are two mm. songs oh, wow. that I know very well. Wow. Two songs, uh, you know, that are... <laughs> that sexual connotation uh, <laughs> and it would be weird to do in front of everyone but I'm kind of into it I have, do you know what, I did actually um, I was at a work thing when I was still working in sales we went to Harrogate for a sales show up there, a toy fair of some kind and um, we went to karaoke and I was like, right, I'm going to do Snoop Dogg drop it like it's hot I did not realise that the song is literally about five minutes long and it just kept going and going and I was like, okay, I'm pretty qu- I'm pretty tired now, like, I just have to keep going and it was only, like, three of us in there literally we went in and it was, like, 
like it's 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 a bar, so there was like tables and and booths everywhere, but there was just no one there except for the three of us. <laughs> and the guy, there was actually a guy in charge of the karaoke, and he like stood on the stage and like I don't know, he just looked really grumpy. And I was there like doing jump on like it's hot, jump on like it's hot all over the place for like ages and ages and ages and ages. I think oh, my um, I think my colleague has a my old colleague has a, a video <laughs> somewhere. Are there just long stretches of that song that are just like Snoop Dogg just sort of hanging around? Like, yeah. I can't remember exactly, but well, he goes and that bit goes on for about two minutes. Uh, it's like it's like a container ship coming into port. Just <laughs> well, does it get stuck in the Suez Canal or not? Uh, yes, yeah, and that's yeah, yeah that's, that's why the song is five minutes long. He's very long so it might even be longer than that it, it felt like it went on forever long, even yeah. for myself when i love mm. being on stage and doing that kind of stuff yeah i love a bit of karaoke yeah, yeah we did some we did some at the christmas party all those years ago like when yeah uh that was when our mutual acquaintance nate nate uh crowley from uh um uh yeah, he didn't he do a version. What song was it where he was just doing like the same lyric over and over again? Well, we uh, did hanging up at second it... on the wall, but that was in the bar. Yeah, that was in the bar. And then we yeah. did. Was it there was something now with with something about eggs. Something, something about an about egg. eggs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember Johnny I... being so into. I remember because I think he we had three it, yeah. or four karaoke rooms, and I remember like going from room to room and going into that room and they were doing that song and I was like this room is too crazy for me like I can't handle this yeah I I, it was like Wheels and Johnny and and Nate and I don't know a bunch of other people and they were all just like I was like this is too much I can't handle this so I went back to like where the Ox guys were essentially doing yeah, like Disney songs. Yeah, I think I was the Ox lot doing Hamilton. I <laughs> yeah, think it was yeah, me like and like Andy doing like Washington on your side and like taking the parts. Oh, <laughs> and it was so yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah. It was a good no. time. I miss yeah. karaoke. Of all the yeah. things I've missed over the last year and a bit, karaoke has been right love, out there. I love a bit of karaoke for sure. Um, how are you about Jarvis? Did you say? We, we uh, should I'm ask right. you. I'm quite tired. I, uh, it's been a busy week in the the Jarvis household for various reasons, but I'm all right. I'm here. It's been it's been a good week work wise. We've done a lot of fun stuff. Mm, so yeah, lots of fun. interesting, exciting stuff. A very productive week. Mm-hmm. Hurrah! Huzzah! <laughs> yes, the, the dice breaker motto, hurrah, we are 19th century British explorers. Uh, yeah, we're here to chat about board games and stuff, although looking at this document, <laughs> I don't think any of us has really played that many board games, so we'll probably just yeah. get on about some other stuff. Between the three of us, one game has been played in the last week. It's been a busy week, but not a busy week of actually playing board games, as is yeah. sometimes the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get caught mm. up in everything else. Uh, Funnily but... enough, in this job, you don't play board games as much as people think you do. <laughs> no. Because you're like, like other stuff. I'm too busy, you know, <laughs> doing everything else. <laughs> but yeah, Matt Jarvis, why don't you kick us off? Oh sure, you you're are the, the only one. <laughs> I'm not used to going first in this. Normally, normally I finish up and then transition into the next section of the podcast. But uh, yeah, I've I played uh, last night, in fact, because I suddenly was like, oh no, I haven't played anything for the podcast, um, and I needed something very short because I just needed I needed a night off. Um, but my wife and I spent 15 minutes or so playing Happy City, uh, which is a game that. Uh, I only received recently, so I think it's quite a recent release. Um, and I had kind of requested a copy 
uh, from the publisher because I'd seen people kind of comparing it to Splendor, which is a game that I like very much. Mm -hmm. I believe we're, we're all kind of fans of Splendor um, on the team. So for those who are familiar with Splendor, you kind of you pick up gem chips, you exchange them for cards. Those cards then give you gems in a lot of cases, and you basically just build your way up to getting lots and lots of points. Whereas in Happy City, you there aren't different colored gems or anything like that. It's just a single currency. It's just coins. And you start with a happy mart and you are looking to build your city. So it's kind of, it's a little bit splendid and it's a little bit matchy Koro, but without dice. Because you just spend your turns, uh, each round you get an income from the cards in front of you. And then you spend those coins to get cards from the middle. And those cards either give you more income, they give you population, so residents of your city, or they give you happiness. And your score at the end is just how many residents you've got times by how many how many hearts or how much happiness you've got. Hmm. It's as simple as that, really. Like it's very, it's very simple. Um, there is there's a what they call a family mode, and then an expert mode because uh, there are a few special buildings that when you've picked up certain combinations of other buildings, you can then like gain one of them, and it gives you like a bonus effect or a bonus like population or income or happiness. And it was one of those things where as I was playing, it was kind of like. Yeah, you know, this is it's a little bit splendid, it's a little bit magicoro. It doesn't necessarily do anything that's new, but at the same time, it's just so charming. <laughs> it's just absolutely packed full of charm. It's got very sweet illustrations. Um, it's very colorful. Uh one of the fun things about it is you're adding buildings to your city. And so you can add like a shoe shop which is shaped like a shoe, or a library that's shaped like a book, or a bakery that's shaped like a croissant. Um, the the hot dog shop has what looks like a Shiba Inu in hot dog bun, but then the Shiba Inu is holding a cocktail, and I don't know why, uh, because it's just a it's just a hot dog shop, but I guess it sells booze as well. Wow! Um, oh. But it's yeah. Uh, yeah I was expecting a hot dog. There's a hot dog place in New York City that is also a there's a secret entrance to a cocktail bar. Um, we have to go through a phone booth to get to, but you have to oh, go into cool. the hot dog shop to get through a phone booth to get into the, it's like a speakeasy. So maybe it's a reference to that? Maybe. Oh. Yeah, booze hound, I don't know. But um, maybe. yeah, so you've got all those shot, all those kind of like relatively straightforward, like here's a shoe shop, here's a barber. But then you can also add, there's a dream factory and there's a unicorn ranch and... Um, there's no, like a Mars jobs. embassy and like a superhero academy. So These it kind aren't of places that exist in the real world. No, no, but it go it goes into there, and all of these buildings are represented by kind of cute little drawings, and a lot of them are just shaped like the thing that they sell. So, like I say, it's like here's a croissant shaped building that sells baked baked goods. Here's a hot dog build, building shaped like a hot dog. And yeah, you just you gain these cards, and once someone gets ten cards, it's the end of the game. You times your hearts and your people together, and that's your score. And it's just it's just a really cute little game, really. I just had a, a nice time playing it. I think it costs like a tenner or something, or maybe maybe 20 quid. But it's very, like I say, it's very simple. It's like a very bored down version of Splendor. It plays in a fraction of the time. And I don't think it's going to set the world on fire. But it's also the kind of thing where if someone just brought it out and was like, hey, do you want a game of this? I'd be like, yeah, yeah, sure. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a fun little game. So I, re I actually wrote a piece for the website today because I was like, yeah, this is a, a game that I had fun with. So I'll write up some thoughts on it. And nice. yes, that's basically all I've played. Um, other than that, I've done very little that's of note because I've largely been doing 
adult admin tasks. Um, Boring. Uh, my my weekly anime club is watching Arjun, which is a series that I don't think is it's not really grabbing me. It's basically like oh there are there are people among us who are what are known as Arjun, and they have these kind of like um ghosts inside them and they can't die is the short of it is like when they die they just come back to life um they got a ghost and... inside of them man java yeah and it's it's fine i don't really like the way it looks all of the characters are unlikable um the... <laughs> that's a pretty we're on to the second no, season no, now isn't and it? The, the second season opening theme is not great it's just one of those shows that we're just getting through it to the end and then why are you we'll watching this else. if you're not enjoying it i don't <laughs> see we, started it and we, we watch it as a yeah we watch it as a friendship group it's like and when you do book club and, and you yeah. have to read a book and you might not like it but you still gotta read it for book club yeah I mean... it's not the worst thing i've ever watched but it's it's just one of those where it's like if anyone's seen tokyo ghoul it's like a worse version of tokyo ghoul it just seems to be going for the kind of like edgy like i'm very grumpy and you know, disillusioned with the world. Is there anyone? But... Do a do a lot of people in it like 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 scoffing? <laughs> I know what you well, mean. the main character <laughs> is just like, oh, I'm really smart and like, oh, I'm like I'm a genius, and it's just like very unlikable. There's no real redeeming. Yeah. It's not like oh, this person like you're not meant to like them, but actually maybe they're going to have a bit of an arc and they come to their senses. It's just none of the characters like. Or there's one character that just like shouts a lot. Uh, shouts a lot. Yeah, and it's just you kind do of sometimes get those characters that all they do is shout, and it's like you, you yeah, that's your like, level, and you'd never go up or down, and it's like that's not realistic. That's the problem. It? Is it like it ruins the dramatic stakes at points because like that particular character just shouts regardless of kind of the scene that they're in. So it's just mm -hmm. like when the dramatic yeah. stuff is kicking off the shouting, and then when not so dramatic stuff is happening, they're still kind of shouting. I haven't so, seen yeah, this, but I feel not. like I've seen it just based on other stuff I yeah. have seen, and it's like oh, so. Right. I feel like not... some better direction needs to be made there, where it's like, okay, maybe we leave the shouting to more appropriate moments for, yeah. you know. Like fits. I say, I just, I don't really love the the look of it. It's kind of got this, um, like, slightly, I think it's like slightly 3D, um, like, so it's got 2D animated. It's like slightly 3D, like, computer-generated animation, and it's got, like, an odd frame rate that makes it look... I don't know. I just I don't I don't dig the way it looks at all. Um, yeah. Other than that, I have played more of Ace Attorney. Uh, gosh, what's it called? Oh, of course, Ace Attorney you play Chronicles. Phoenix, right? <laughs> oh yeah, no, I love it. Um, it's the one with with Herlock Sholmes in it. Uh, I'm <laughs> oh, yeah. now almost at the end of it, and it continues to be charming. It's actually it's it's interesting that game because it a lot of the like Phoenix Wright for those who don't know is a game about being a lawyer. Um, you defend cases, but this game actually goes into kind of like xenophobia in like an interesting way in that you are a Japanese law student who comes to the UK and a lot of the British people you meet are just like straight up xenophobic to you oh. and it kind of deals with that stuff in some like in some surprisingly kind of interesting and nuanced ways where a lot of the people you go up against who are clearly not very nice people um, but they it can like the way they refer to you and the way they discuss kind of your um like come across from japan to study in england it's like an interesting kind of thing that plays off of the 19th century victorian stuff and then also plays off of the very goofy tape that they have on sherlock holmes uh, which is herlock holmes who yeah. gets to the right answer but takes the wrong kind of journey there so we'll go this is right and then you have to kind of solve the working in between 
which I really like. I mean, um, I'm surprised because I kind of heard that the older Phoenix Wright games are like they they they're very charming, but they have parts of it that are like, mm, is this yeah. really okay? It's like, there, yeah, some parts of them have not aged well. With, with what um, we call booby ladies, <laughs> where yeah. it's yeah, just like animations of jiggling. And also some of those characters are very young. <laughs> yeah. And in, in this one, there's some interesting stuff on kind of le the legal system in that you come across, you do one case in Japan and then you come to England and you start to defend cases. And there's a lot of discussion of the British legal system. Uh, and at one point there are, there's kind of a thing where um, without spoiling too much, you kind of come out of the end of um, a particular section of the game and your character is kind of questioning whether it was really the right outcome kind of thing of like you know it's technically you know the legal justice system ran its course but when you look mm. at it it's like was that really like is the justice, justice. system really that kind of yeah. bulletproof so i think there's some there's some surprisingly interesting discussions going on in a game that involves someone called herlock sholmes goofing <laughs> around and yeah being silly um other than that i, I played a bit of the new warrior where uh Oh, I've seen the adverts for that. Get, no, get it together. Get, get it together, that's it. Mm. Um, I was thinking of Touched, which is the DS one. Uh, those games are silly and goofy. <laughs> They're just like a lot of quick fire mini games that are very silly. It's like pull the armpit hairs out of this statue or like keep this. There are armpit up. hairs in a statue? Yep, yep. It's like classic Warrior Wear games are like pull all the toilet roll off of this toilet roll in three seconds. Um, I, I really love them. They are very silly, they are very inventive. Uh, this one does some weird stuff where you swap characters and each of the characters controls differently. Uh, so, like, one of them has, like, a shoulder barge and one of them can fire discs and one of them uh, has a boomerang they can throw around, uh, which at points can be frustrating. There's, like, a character that just jumps continually and I just found that more annoying than, like, oh, this is an interesting way to tackle these same games. I was just like, just stop jumping. Like, it's just making it irritating for me. Um, but... It's more wackiness. It, yeah, it's it's very good quick fire fun, um, but yeah, that's that's literally everything I've done this week. That's my my life in the space of twenty minutes. Oh wow, uh, Alex Lowley's. Hi. Over to you. What have you been up to this week? I've not played a single board game, so let's get that out of the way. Um, <laughs> however, I've not done my homework. <laughs> uh, so I, um, let's just accept that. <laughs> I do have a date with some friends to play some board games all day on Sunday. Not just, nice. just not just a little bit on Sunday, but all day. We're starting at eleven a.m. and gonna play through for the day. So I'm looking forward to that. Actually, gonna get some some board games under the belt. Uh, what have I been doing? I've been getting into my um, really getting into my like middle-aged groove here by um, <laughs> getting into gardening and watching boat races. <laughs> That's what I do. Uh, every Sunday I tend to, well, not every Sunday, obviously I'm not doing it this Sunday because I'm playing board games, but um, most Sundays now I go, there's a lake not too far away and I um, I go there and I watch a boat race and I'm actually planning to become a member of the boat club. I'm very excited about it because I really want to go sailing. So, and then I've been doing some gardening. I planted some tulips recently. Ooh. Oh, wow. Uh, lots of different colors. I think I ended up planting. My mom got me a pack of like six bulbs, I think it was. And they were like these lovely pinky ones. Um, oh, they were called like Chinese something. I remember. Um, I I don't remember the name though. But uh, and then 
went back to the garden center myself the next day or day after and i bought four more packs <laughs> not of the Whoa. same ones of different colors and then i um i've planted them all now so hopefully next spring i'll have some lovely tulips hmm. um been reading about plants and stuff um which I never it's thought I would. Idyllic life. You I'm are like I'm right now, though, Well, I'm just you know I turned thirty one quite recently, and for the last thirty years I've had zero interest in plants. But now there's a plant behind me. There's a plant yeah, in look. front of me. Oh my goodness! And I'm planting. Whoa. I do like gardening. I usually like weeding, but now I'm actually planting flowers, and it's nice. So oh. I don't know. I'm quite enjoying it. And then I think that's kind of it. I, I've been watching some TV. Oh, I watched Shang-Chi in the um, cinema, the, the new Marvel film. Um, mm -hmm. Watched that. Uh, that was really good. Would recommend. Very funny, actually. Surprisingly funny. I didn't oh, expect nice. it to be so funny. Uh, so would recommend everyone goes to see that. It's also like an incredible like Asian cast. It's really cool the way that like even like, uh, you know, apart from the main characters, a lot of the like kind of secondary characters they've put into have also been cast like, um, yeah, Asian, which appropriately, is, yeah. Well, but yeah, you know, thing, like they're in. I think they're in like San Francisco or something, so they didn't have to do that, but they've still done it. And I, I really, I think that that's really, really great. Like it's really strong, really strong. It's effort a step there, in the right direction. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like like we talked about last week. Uh, Aquafina is in it, and mm -hmm. I really like her. She's hilarious. She's very good. Uh, so I am tempted to see it just because she's in it. You should uh, genuinely like, even if you're not a Marvel fan, it's just a good film. I think, like, yeah, it's decent. Uh, I I I have been tempted to see it. I don't know. I feel a little bit tired of Marvel at the moment, which I think a lot of people. They are, are bringing feeling... out a lot of stuff. Like, yeah, like, like they had a break, right? They it took like a year after. Was it Endgame? Endgame, and it felt yeah. like nothing came out for a while, and then suddenly, like, Spewing. we're back. It's, it's like, constant. here's one like, every month. Because back then it was, like, TV last as month well. So yeah. they had, like, as soon as one TV show ends, another one is starting. So, like, What If recently started, and that was shortly after... Loki. Loki, yeah, ended, and it just, like, just keeps going. I don't... I don't, they, oh, I don't know. Content. Content all content. the time, really. It's and incredible, then doing... but also it is a lot. I understand why, why people would think it was a lot, yeah. Yeah, and now they're doing all these video games as well that they've just announced. So now yeah. the video games are getting that treatment. More Spider-Mans, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm excited. Spider-Man. So I heard really good things about Spider-Man and Spider-Man Miles Morales. I didn't play yeah. either because uh, not hugely fussed about Spider-Man. Um, and then Miles Morales, I don't have a PS5, so I can't play that. Um uh, it's because... as well, in All right, but I don't know. I'm always dubious about like games that have clearly been ported from like a more superior system to a less good system because I've had bad experiences in the past of like, yeah, essentially really bad ports for for systems that are just not clearly not capable of running those games. Um, but yeah, they're making like another Spider-Man video game and they're making a Wolverine one. Yeah, back to Wolverine. Um, they've got this other Marvel one, this, uh, this other Marvel one coming out that I've seen dotted about that's like meant to be like XCOM or something. Yeah, um, is it Eternal or something like that? 
Yeah. Wait, or is Eternals the TV show? Eternals, Eternals is the, the film that's going to come yeah, out. It's coming out soon. Again, yeah, I feel like there's, again, so, there's much. Just so many things, yeah. and they all have like they all have subtitles that are relatively like a new within Spider-Man the same sphere of like. Film as well coming yeah, the, yeah the trailer for that um was put out a few weeks ago mm-hmm. i think i was vaguely interested in that because like oh. oh if they get willem dafoe back <sighs> but the green goblin i'm in count Where me is in the second spider-verse that's all I want yeah to, to be honest yeah. that's the only like film that that we really that like i'm really invested in in terms of like yeah into the spider-verse just amazing so i definitely would like to see a sequel to that but um, I'm glad you enjoyed Shang Chi. Uh, yeah, I really did. Lolis. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm glad to hear that. I might go and see it. It depends. Um, I have this thing about cinemas where I get really angry at people who are talking in the cinema and just messing about. It just gets me seriously. There is nothing that gets me so infuriated and angry as like people being considerate in the cinema. I have I multiple think... times stood up and like. I've been to the cinema quite a lot in in recent weeks, and like I haven't really had that experience at all. Like, yeah, it's been quite good. I do think it's like it is. I do think it doesn't happen very often at all. Mm. But when it does happen, oh man, nothing grinds my gears quite like it. You're probably also (laughs) better off not going on like you know, like Friday nights or Saturday nights when like the hooligans are out and about at the cinema (laughs) (laughs) and maybe going like, like I went to see Shang-Chi on Tuesday evening. Um, Yeah. So like going on those kind of, and that was like, it was quite busy, but it was like, as I say, it wasn't, there's no. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, those are the kind of films you want to watch. You're right, Lolis. Yeah. Something just flew and it just scared me. It's just the wind. Don't worry. Uh, I was like, oh god, um, what's happened? Um, yeah, I mean, those are the kind of films you want to watch in the cinema, right? The mm. big, bombastic, like, that's the kind of real cinema experience. I don't oh, really... It's not bombastic. That is not why I expected you. When you started doing that, I was like, has she become the grudge? I don't know. Was that flying thing actually a ghost possessing <laughs> Um, that will forever be where's the shaggy cinematic universe it will ever be that that song will forever be synonymous with the trailer that I saw for Mr Bean's holiday or something (laughs) where he's dancing to that song I I just like remember seeing that and being like well I'm not going to watch that film I I saw that film in the cinema of course you did. I saw the cinema. I hated it. I loved it. I don't know which one it was before. Was there like a lot before that? I don't know. But there was a Mr. Bean movie before that I really, really loved. I went to see The Holiday and I was like, what the hell? I was so disgusted, disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) You're, yeah, you're the quality of Mr. Bean has gone. Yeah, it's fallen off a cliff. I mean, I will say this, right? Rowan Atkinson, he's become one of those, you know, comics that's like, I'm really old now and no one cares about what I do anymore. So I'm going to make myself relevant by saying stupid stuff Mm. and complaining about cancel culture because that's what a load of old comedians do now. Because when no one, when you just need to let yourself go quietly into that dark night uh, and you don't want to, what you do is you go on Twitter and complain about cancel culture. 
But I will also say that I don't think you really helped your career, Rowan Atkinson, when you appeared in such films as Mr. Bean's Holiday and all the Johnny English sequels that I never watched. There's, a, I think there's only been one Johnny English sequel to my knowledge. No. The first, oh, is there another one? There are three Johnny English I, films. I have a real soft spot for the first Johnny English film, and the second one is so bad. Uh, oh, it's truly unwatchable. Nonsense. I never put myself through that, all the third one. Oh, speaking of bad films, I, I watched Tremors this week, actually. Oh, like the original Tremors? The one with Kevin Bacon. Is that the original? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the original. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was the first time I watched that. That's that's a piece of pie. Poo. <laughs> <laughs> we can say poo. That's fine. Uh, yeah, Kevin Bacon's not got a great track record either. But, no, um... no, not a big mm. fan. I don't think. I, although I do like him in uh, as I refer to because uh, it was it was part of a, a movie night. Um, I refer to it as that dancing one. Um, but <laughs> I meant Footloose, but I couldn't think of it. I couldn't think of the name. <laughs> it's got some. I know, I know. My mind one. just went blank. I've been very tired this whole week. I've barely slept, oh, and it's been a busy no day days. every day. It's because you watch Tremors. You're all scared now. <laughs> it was before Tremors. <laughs> oh, is there anything else, Lolis? No, that's everything that I've been doing. Um, uh, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, that's it. I'll I'll update you next week on the games I play on Sunday because I'll actually have something to talk about. What? This section is either over an hour long or like 20 minutes of everyone just going, yeah, they don't have time for anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> according to uh, BP Phantom, apparently there are seven Tremors films. Wow. Are you going to watch all of them, Lola? I was told, let's watch the sequels, and I was like, no, please no. don't. <laughs> I assume Kevin Bacon wasn't in all seven of them. No. I think that's normally the way where it's like the first one has the bankable start, and then the rest are kind of straight to DVD. Yeah. Unless it does really, really well. But He's too busy doing EE adverts, right? Mm. That's what he does now. I know. I keep forgetting that that's Kevin Bacon. Yeah, he's, he's just old. You know, I just don't, I don't, when I see him, I don't think Kevin Bacon it's very strange. His, yeah, his skin is starting to look a little bit like bacon. <laughs> oh, he's fine. He can take it. Crispy bacon. <laughs> Crispy bacon. Yeah, not not quite Iggy Pop levels of beef jerky, but <laughs> he's. I think he's going down that that particular route. But uh, there you go. He's fine, Matt. He's he's rolling in it. He'll live. All right. but, uh, so what have Matt you been doing? Yeah, disapproving look. Um, for having a go at Kevin Bacon. Oh, no. um, you know, it's just age. It'll get us all in the end. Yeah, I know. I know, mate. When I'm all... I mean, I'm basically old now. My body's falling apart. In fairness, not all of us will have massive paychecks from various advertising yeah. to help us into <laughs> into our older age. But Yeah, he's living life up. He's fine. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Okay, what have I been doing this week? Well, like Lolis, I've not been playing any board games, so you can just forget it. <laughs> <laughs> just forget about it. Forget about it, hey! <laughs> uh, what I have been doing this week is... Oh, uh, even though, obviously, I was talking about not going to the the cinema, <laughs> I did go to the cinema on the weekend. <laughs> My friends dragged me out after... Um, you know, destroying my leg. The incident. Uh, yeah, the incident, let's call it that. 
uh, and we went to see because they wanted to see it, and I was like, okay, I'll tag along. Uh, we went to see Jungle Cruise. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, yeah, as most films are these days, it's another Disney film mm-hmm. <laughs> with uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yes, uh, and Emily Blunt. Uh, in all her glory, and also Jack Whitehall is in it, oh. and yeah, <laughs> Whitehall, Matt, you not a fan? No. Why? <laughs> Tell me why. Ah, just like I don't know. Is it because like... he hates Mr. Blobby? Yeah, uh, that's it. I don't it? know. That's I did why. not know of his dance on Mr. Blobby. I think I just yeah. find Jack Whitehall like. Uh, <laughs> irritating but that's just me personally I'm, he, yeah I'm i mean i'm not a fan either though. but uh kobe morris also correctly says and disney's 37th first gay character because <laughs> spoiler alert yeah his character is well the thing is in the film they obviously never say the word gay because it's a disney film and they're too cowardly to ever do that you have to read like some expanded universe thing that mentions it in a footnote yeah like, he has this later com- and they go hmm. He has this conversation with Dwayne Rock Johnson's character uh, when they're just sitting around. And I mean, up to this point, he has been playing, so he plays like the brother of Emily Blunt's character. And, you know, he's fine. He has a few vaguely funny moments. Uh, but where mostly like where like they're throwing his stuff into like the lake. He's like, oh, no, don't do that. Uh, but he's obviously playing a very foppish kind of coded character i wouldn't say he plays it in an offensive way it's not like a a classic effeminate you know gay man who's like you're meant to laugh at him because he's so effeminate it's more like he's just sort of pompous and like that doesn't fit in the jungle cruise thing but then i was gonna say that's kind of yeah and it's jack Whitehorn. yeah what what that's kind of Jack Whitehall's shtick. It's just like yeah, yeah, playing a like slightly posh, you know. Yeah, in 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 like a a kind of what do you call it? Like a it's a, like he's always he's on a, a fish out of water. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he plays that kind of character, and then he has this conversation with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Of course. Uh, and like he's talking about, oh, why are you here? And he's like, oh, my sister's very nice. Uh, she was like the only one who didn't turn away from me or something. And then he says, oh, my interests lie elsewhere, quote. But of course, that's his way of describing that he's gay without saying he's gay because Disney would never allow like one of their characters to actually just say it or say they like men or whatever because mm, that's too uh, that's too obvious. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're they're approaching it in the same way that they've done, sort of previously, where they've had oh look those two people kissing in the background. Oh look, uh, Joss Gad's character has a dance with a guy and he likes it. <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, Disney, you're trying, but come on, like you could do so much better than this. Um, otherwise, it's an all right film. It's kind of a romp. Is exactly what you expect it to be. Like. As soon as I saw the villain, I started laughing very, very loudly. <laughs> um, yeah, and there are some fun bits. They try to pair up Emily Blunt and Dwayne the Rock Johnson's character, and I'm a bit like, mm. 
it doesn't quite work. But yeah, you know, it's this trying to be like um uh like Indiana Jones or like Pirates of the Caribbean or as Mike Jones mentioned, the mummy, uh, which it will never be the mummy because the mummy is one of the greatest films ever made. So uh <laughs> don't stop trying. <laughs> I mean it's like it's literally based on a theme park ride, right? So I guess to mm -hmm. some degree. That's what you're signing. Oh, the Pirates, Pirates of the Caribbean Pirates was that, Caribbean. and then they tried to get too much into the law and I yeah, mean, the deep law behind Pirates of the Caribbean. Of the Caribbean. Yeah. Issues for various other reasons, but um, yeah. But I did like I liked the Jumanji films, and it's like it's odd because the, the, no, the Jumanji films. That, so I keep like conflating these two films because it's like oh, right. it's the Rock in the Jungle with you know ensemble cast of mm. the both the Jumanji films are better than Jungle Cruise, right? And they are better because one, they're funnier, uh, and two, they have this cast of characters that just works very well together. And that's where most of the fun comes from. It's not necessarily like the scenarios that they find themselves in. Whereas Jungle Cruise has basically it's it's entirely carried on the shoulders of Dwayne the Rock Johnson and the big Ed shoulders. Blunt. In fairness, big <laughs> shoulders. And you know what? He is he's. He's charismatic, but he's just basically playing the Dwayne the Rock Johnson character. Uh, and Emily Blunt is fine. She's just like, oh, I'm a, a peppy lady who's going on an adventure. Uh, and it, it it's going along the lines. Of, again, it's just trying to do Rachel Wise's character, but nowhere near as good. Because Rachel Wise is just very, very good in that role. And she has amazingly quotable lines in The Mummy, such as, uh, oh my gosh, like, I'm a librarian. Like, the, just the amazing, chem and the amazing chemistry between her and Brendan Fraser could never be recaptured, um, no matter how charismatic Dwayne The Rock Johnson is. Um, you know, it was fun. There was a lot of CGI in it, obviously, and some of the CGI was, some parts were much better than others. <laughs> Uh, including, there were some interesting designs, but some of the CGI just couldn't carry it off. Um, it was good, like, but it's just there was, not. There was a couple of mm -hmm. moments like that in Shang Chi, like, and when I say couple, I literally mean I remember like two moments where I was a bit like, that's very, mm. like, very obviously green screen in a way yeah. where like I almost couldn't see past the fact that it was like clearly green screen, which I was surprised yeah. about in like a, a big Marvel film. Yeah, film. I yeah, like yeah. That, uh, a side effect of uh, production during kind of the pandemic because obviously Marvel slash Disney has a lot of money and they've done quite impressive things with you know literally having like late actors appear on screen and be almost fully CGI sometimes more effectively mm. than other times but I suspect yeah. that my my suspicion will be that they put considerably less budget into Jungle Cruise and they've done for like, for example, their Marvel films because their mm. Marvel films are the things that really sell. The Jungle Cruise thing, I think they made it in the, I think they're making another one. They basically confirmed they're making another one. And like, there are parts of it that are like, oh, that's nice. But I will also say the pace of the film moves so fast and so quickly. And some of it's not edited amazingly well. Where it's just like, here's this moment that lasts approximately 30 seconds, and a bam, like, here's the next thing. Kind of like a roller coaster ride, I guess. But like, that's acceptable when you're, you know, on a roller coaster ride, not when you're kind of watching 
like watching a film you're like what what like what just happened okay now we're here um yeah it's good they make some attempts to kind of confront some more unpleasant stereotypes of like action films like that um right the indigenous people are the evil ones um yeah by the way uh spoiler alerts for jungle cruise um it was fine it was a good rough uh, I did laugh multiple times, probably at bits I wasn't supposed to laugh at, but yeah, uh, it was fine. Um, if you want a, a lark, why not? Um, other than that, uh, I've been watching more Korra, which is great, and more than at the end. I found my favourite character in the entire series. The character is called... <laughs> the character is called Juicy. <laughs> Juicy is a sky bison who's etern- whose nose is eternally snotty. <laughs> and I'm just like, you precious thing, I want to I want to nurture you like a sweet babe. <laughs> so that's that series. Um and then I'm always just playing more Phasmophobia, which they've done an update for, and it's really scary now, like more scary than it was before somehow. <laughs> and um, playing more Mass Effect Legendary. I've almost finished with the first game. It's taken me this long. <laughs> Two more bigger games after this. <laughs> and it just uh, reminded me, like, how much of the side content of that of that first game is just very they they clearly had a lot of ambition but the budget just wasn't there and that's fine like it's why i've not done a huge amount of it but a lot of it is just go to this place drive around in the mako for a bit go to a generic looking space station thing go inside you know kill some enemies and then you get a little text box pop up telling you, oh, that was weird. That's the end of that one. And then you just go back to the ship and then you do that then a few times. Even the more story-based ones are kind of like where they have like cutscenes sort of to start and finish still go along those kind of lines. And I'm just like, I genuinely don't miss this. I know a lot of people complained in the second one where they just got rid of the Mako sections completely. And I'm like, I'm fine with this because I always found those quite boring anyway. Um, and then what they did with it in Andromeda wasn't that great <laughs> to begin with. But um, yeah, I guess you play a game like No Man's Sky if you want something like that, to be honest. Like, mm. just much better experience. I got into No Man's Sky for a while, uh, like a couple of months back. I don't know why. Because it's been out for ages, and I was just like, I'm going to give this a go. And it's like, oh, I started on a planet that's full of radiation, and now I'm just constantly dying of radiation on this planet uh, until I can gather it's enough because, It's because it's a game a that, that's gotten just substantially better, right? I mean, I've not played it, but I've just heard, like, over the past few years, it's just an entirely different game now. Yeah, I think uh, they gave it some direction. It was like a concept in search of like a focus where it's like we have this really cool thing where we just generate unlimited planets or billions and billions of planets uh, and everything's Mm. procedurally generated and i think when it first launched there was no kind of direction as to what you do with that it's just like here's all the stuff uh and it 
yeah but now now there's like a hey like do this first then fly up and go to this space station okay here's like like a, a story mission of sorts to go and pursue but yeah it's probably the I case of what it. what we were all all suspecting was like oh the game was pushed out because it needed to go out at some point <laughs> and it was pushed out before they were actually able to create like a structure for what you do in the game mm. and then they were like oh we can put that in afterwards and then um they've done that and now people like it a lot better so i guess yeah. that's a that's a positive like i mean fair play to them turn that around for sticking with it because it's been yeah six, yeah six years since that thing came out and it's yeah uh... i mean that poor team received so much abuse afterwards like yeah. regardless of you know like how bad a game might be like you know obviously i wasn't hugely happy when andromeda came out like you know that game has a billion problems um but i you know it, no excuse to send abuse and, and nasty things to the creators because you just don't do that it's not not okay yeah people i think uh the people people on the internet let's say often mm. become overly overly attached to like brands or ideas ahead of the actual people that make those things and don't know the reality of making that stuff it's like everyone that works on something wants it to be great and you know yeah it's just it's the world we live in where there's a lot of a lot of people getting very angry and being very horrible to people that they've never met and who are working very hard and often you know more than they should be uh in the video games industry um yeah hmm. there you go that was my week there we go all right let's barrel on uh into a short, short little news section. Uh, it's been a relatively quiet week for news uh, this week. Uh, there's been some interesting stuff, and of course you can go find that over on dicebreaker.com. Uh, like me and you spoke to the Funko Games folks about licensed games. Mm -hmm. uh, Chase spoke to Magpie Games uh, about the Avatar Legends uh, RPG and where the, 10, the almost $10 million that they made mm. is going, uh, with some, let's say, interesting uh comments from magpie about uh how they are compensating their contributors uh you can go and read chase's piece on that you can read me chatting about civilization civilization one sid meyer's civilization uh, which is a series i'm very fond of turns uh 30 years old this month um and so i kind of looked back on that and civilization the board game which actually came first and did a lot of the stuff that sid meyer's Civ then yeah, so civilization the video game is based on a board game yeah I knew it. I was having this conversation literally yesterday with somebody, and they were yeah. Like, no, Although Sid legally, Meyer has, Sid Meier has long insisted that he had not played the Sith board game, and that actually, it's entirely different. But you look at it, and it's kind of like, hmm, is that right, Sid? Like, there's a lot of comparison. There's a lot of similar stuff here to the board game, which came out eleven years beforehand in 1980. Well, well, um, well. Yeah, if and also, I don't Sid know my board games. <laughs> Then... Sid Meier also made like a train game based on a game by the designer of Civilization, the board game, Francis uh, Tresham, who uh, passed away a couple of years ago. So yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting story. At least I think it is, which is why I wrote it into a feature. But you can go and go and read that. Mm. Um, and yeah, uh, but for this podcast, I've pulled a couple of interesting stories. One of these is kind of just like an interesting heads up, um, building on some stuff we discussed previously. Uh, me and you mm. spoke to Asmodi. Uh, oh, Asmodee in North America about the news that they're raising some of their prices. 
Yeah, so this is uh, an announcement that's kind of in a string of recent announcements uh, where publishers have basically come out and said, hey, uh, expect our prices to go up because the current situation that, you know, the current tabletop industry situation is um, there are a lot of rising costs involved uh, with shipping and production uh, that are essentially it's causing havoc to the point where like some publishers are like we're not able to you know take on all of these costs ourselves so we're pushing uh, a certain amount of those costs onto the customer how much of that amount we don't 100 percent know um you know asthma day basically released uh, an announcement saying the uh, key releases from fantasy flight game and atomic math games two of their biggest kind of studios um uh will be going up in price and there are some specifics in the article if you go and read it uh on the website right now if you want to see some some very specific prices but the general rule of thumb seems to be some games are going up by about ten dollars other games particularly newer ones are going up by about five dollars so we're seeing the likes of arkham horror third edition going from about 69 nice 95 to 79.99 that's Uh, that's quite yeah that's 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 a big price jump um which equates for about 58 pounds uh and a lot of their bigger older games are basically getting the same treatment whereas um some of the titles so basically all their titles fantasy flight all the ones that are kind of in stock right now are going up but even titles that have been released earlier this year like x-men mutant insurrection are also increasing in price just by a lesser amount and essentially they outright state these price increases are to do with uh, problems with shipping which we're seeing in terms of a shortage in containers. So any containers that publishers are trying to get a hold of are just hugely increased in price. Some by about what, like a hundred percent or over a hundred percent. Yeah, I think so. Chase's story, I think was mm. it later games are saying like a shipping container had gone from like five thousand dollars to like twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, in yeah, like that, a few that. months, which is particularly for small, you know, as Mode is kind of an exception to this in some mm. ways. I mean, they're still not Hasbro, but for so many small studios, that is, that's a that's huge killer, margin. Yeah, yeah that, that can instantly sink a studio. Yeah, so, um, and also the a shortage in raw materials. So I think this has also been referenced in previous articles we've written, particularly that cardboard essentially is, uh, there's a shortage of cardboard which is making producing games uh, difficult. I have um, a shed full of cardboard, literally. Yeah. If yeah. you need any, hit me up. <laughs> I got a shed go, full. It's literally go, go. from the floor almost to the ceiling, shed-sized, full of cardboard. This is you yeah. just like, I'm gonna, scalping cardboard. I'm going to sell my cardboard. It's going to be pretty pricey, no, though single-handedly saves the the tabletop gaming industry 
Well, no, I couple, wouldn't say saves. They can buy it directly from me. I will give them competitive oh. prices, but it's still going to be fairly hiked up. Lolene's just got a cigar in her mouth. She's like, I gotta make, I've got to make some money, see? <laughs> competitive prices. Well, I was going to bring it to the dump, but if I know it's going to be... You know, yeah, it's worth, worth a lot. Something, it's worth a lot. No, Loli. Yeah. Um, in all seriousness, <laughs> I am serious. Um, Loli's serious. That this is the deal. Um, like again, this is not Dicebreaker's opinion. This is my personal opinion. Yada yada yada. Uh, I can see Matt Jarvis gearing up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What's coming? <laughs> so obviously, they they're being very upfront about the fact that this is the reason why the prices are going up. Um, so the fact that they're not doing something which which sometimes I suspect some publishers do, which would be, oh, blah, 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 business speak. We're not using specifics here because we never do that. At least they're specifically saying shipping costs and you know, uh, trying to get raw materials are the reasons why the costs of these games are going up. However, uh fancy flight asmode are they are huge companies like that they've been doing incredibly well recently as well uh they've got massive ips we're talking star wars marvel you know like that x-men gaming reference arkham horror is basically an ip in itself i don't know the specifics of how much of the cost they're taking on compared to how much they're putting onto the customer essentially I will say that looking at things in general, we do reference a article uh, that Chase also wrote, uh, beloved Chase, about the fact that Wizards of the Coast are putting their prices up as well on Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering, two massive series that already aren't the cheapest, in my opinion. Like D&D books, are, you know, can be pretty pricey, and they've basically said. Um, in the next, I think it is in the next quarter, I think in this quarter, that they're going to offset the rising cost of freight and commodities. Um, and I don't, I, I think they said that, I don't think they've specifically said how much prices are going to go up. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was along the same lines of fantasy flight, if not worse. Um, so, you know, if we're not pointing specific fingers here, but when it comes, for example, later games, like they're a much smaller company in comparison and they're facing exactly the same situation of having shipping problems. For example, trying to get copies of Oath out recently and Oath is a big game full of lots of pieces. Uh, and yeah, I probably don't have well. enough cardboard for Oath. Yeah, sorry. sorry Loading doesn't have cardboard for Oath. Um, yeah, the... And they're facing, you know, a lot of these smaller publishers are facing exactly the same issue. I think I'd feel a lot better if they put their prices up because, frankly, they need support because they are not sitting on a massive catalogue of, you know, games, um, particularly IPs. Mr. Jarvis. I was going to say, in some ways, you hope that... If you look at this optimistically, and it's it's not a good like it's not a good situation. It's not an easy it's a situation, bad situation for, right for now. any board yeah. game publisher at the moment. The kind of triple whammy of obviously COVID impacting things, and then shipping, which is partly due to that, but also is just happening anyway. And then also things, yeah. material costs and production as well. You hope that optimistically, 
although it's not ideal for like consumers on the on the end, the people actually buying the games, you hope that a big company like Fancy Flight putting their prices up, and again, like you say, we don't know whether that's really re yeah. reflects or the how much increase, it, yeah. like how much they're eating on their end because they can afford to do so. We hope that because they put that up, smaller studios can put their prices up, which isn't, you know, it's not an ideal situation for people, you know, buying games because games will cost more. But if that's what's kind of necessary to keep those studios in business during a really hard period, then I think I'd prefer to see that than the companies that can swallow some of that cost surviving through and all the smaller studios that can't being unable to raise their prices because, you know, they are offering games of a certain size or a certain scale and therefore people yeah. in the shop might then just pick up something else. Um, like that, that's the hope is that although it's not good in terms of people buying games, it actually helps those publishers and studios. I mean, I'm, I'm if more, gonna, if the big names have to do it, then I'm more for the smaller. So I'm more for the, the smaller publishers doing that. I think if the, if smaller publishers said, right, right, this is what we're doing. Like, for example, I mean, that company that's putting out that Assassin's Creed game basically went out to it, it was uh, funded on Kickstarter and they went out to their pledges and said we need more money to get this made but I'm pretty sure the company making that game even though it's an IP game is uh, it's fairly smallish that I mean like basically in the grand scheme of things when it comes to the tabletop industry you have about three or four like really big publishers and everyone else is kind of a long similar kind of amounts of uh, like or sizes you know or um, such will get like a certain amount of profit i think if if every small publisher said we're putting our prices up then i'd be like totally fine i completely understand that it's really tough right now you need some financial support uh i it just puts a it just puts a kind of bit of a bitter taste in my mouth to see you know like Fancy Flight and Wizards kind of doing it. I don't know. Maybe smaller publishers are doing it. They're just not really reporting it. But yeah. Yeah. Well, like I say, like hopefully this kind of sets the standard right of like it then allows the smaller ones to feel like they can bring theirs up oh, because yeah. that gap will stay the same. But yeah, I think particularly in the case of Wizards, the pricing of Wizards is, has never been great anyway. Like Wizards are generally, uh, let's say, greedy. Uh, this is my personal opinion, obviously. Yeah, um, but generally, the the pricing of of magic stuff you see through Secret Lair and the kind of like FOMO that they push upon uh, folks for magic, particularly, is kind of it's just not friendly at all to people who just are trying to play a game um, and enjoy that game. Um, like I say, with with Fancy Flight, I think it's harder to tell how much they're eating. You kind of oh. hope that they have raised it the smallest amount they think they can on the consumer and like retailer end because obviously board game shops also are getting hit by this stuff because their margins are affected as well and they don't work on huge margins to begin with because of distribution and so on so yeah you you can look at it very cynically and be like well those companies just you know want their money and they're putting it upon other people but you you have to live in optimism that at least some of them are doing kind of doing a hard thing to the level that they have to, yeah, yeah. but like the rest of it is kind of behind the scenes there, yeah. working it out to try and you know. I mean, the, the essentially, 
the long and short of it is the industry is having a really difficult yeah. time right now. It is bad. Like, and to be honest, my heart goes out to all those tiny little publishers that are just trying to float. And for example, had Kickstarters, you know, completed their little kick again, their little Kickstarters completed, and then suddenly they're finding themselves with this huge bill for like a, trying to get a container or just desperately trying to find materials to make this thing that's where my heart really goes out to like those poor people who are trying to figure out something um you know everything else is the case of tabletop gaming isn't the most affordable hobby to get into uh and i think more than ever board game cafes are basically going to step up and try and provide you know those opportunities for people to be able to play games without having to shell out like a significant amount of money like obviously these are physical things there's always going to be more expensive because so much production is involved and shipping and everything but yeah i guess the the socialist is coming out in me i'm like mm. <laughs> again personal views not dice breaker there yeah you go. uh but the long short of it is if board games start to cost more that's the reason there is a reason behind it is that, yeah you know why say, but... yeah both both small and big games getting hit by it uh let's move on to this second story uh, which is just something i pulled as kind of like an interesting game announcement um i have not thought about soul forge in probably about 10 years it probably was around the time that it launched um as a digital card game uh and it lasted for a few years it was um designed by richard garfield or co-designed by richard garfield known for magic the gathering and netrunner and king of tokyo and this and that he's very Key prolific forge. designer yeah keyforge soulforge keyforge right. soulforge well it's interesting you say that me because they are now relaunching soulforge the previously digital card game as a physical card game and they're going they're really going keyforge with it okay so soulforge fusion uh, is a physical version of Soulforge, which was only digital, um, but got shut down a few years ago. And they are calling it, let me get this right so that Fancy Flight doesn't get sad, the first hybrid card game. So whereas Keyforge was the first unique deck game, this is the first hybrid card game. And what I think, the reason I pull this, um, and part of why I'm so intrigued by this is that it's using a lot of the kind of ideas that went into Keyforge, which, as you point out, Richard Garfield also designed. So Keyforge, for those who aren't aware, uh, uses like an algorithm to generate unique decks. You can't mess with those decks at all. Once you have them, they are fixed. But every, the idea is that every single deck in the world is unique uh, and has like a unique name on it, has a unique list of cards, um, and there are no two decks alike in the world. So Soulforge Fusion is taking that idea, but basically splitting the decks in half. So it's it's basically like Keyforge in that each of those deck halves will be completely unique. Um, there will only be one of that deck half in the world of that specific makeup of cards. But you get two of those and you combine them together, which is a little bit like the Magic the Gathering jumpstart stuff that we saw last year, um, and a little bit like Smash Up. Um, so you you get two deck halves you smash them together and that's your deck so like keyforge you can't mess with it you can't customize it you can't swap like individual cards in and out anything like that but it's the first time i think i've seen a card game or really any board game um because 
let's let's forget about Discover Lands Unknown, which was like the unique board game the Fancy Flight put out and immediately sank. Yeah, I, I um, didn't even know that existed, to be honest, yeah, until you uh, told me about it. It did not land well. Uh, but this is the first time I've kind of seen someone going after that Keyforge idea. Um, and like I say, this is, this is co-designed by Richard Garfield and Justin Gary, who is the designer of Ascension, uh, the deck builder. So there's some there's some pretty decent like design chops behind it, but I think the real seller here is that idea of like the the promise of keyboard. Just like when you get a deck half, you know that it's going to be unique, and it might be designed around like vampires, or it might be designed around like something else. Like all right, okay, but interesting. But the idea is you just get two deck halves, you mesh them together. That's your deck. You're ready to play. Um, I think they're also doing like a version on tabletop simulator, so they're not doing a dedicated app. But you can scan right. in your deck and then use it to play tournaments on tabletop sim. I will uh, say, uh, like the other day, I did actually play some Keyforge for the mm. first time in a very long while. I was playing with my new flatmate because she had never played before. Um, and yeah, that game's still really good. Yeah. And <laughs> I, mean, I still like, haven't played it. <laughs> it's, it's great. I mean, I will say this match lasted a very long time. I think that's because one, we didn't have any tokens, we had to make our own. <laughs> uh, and two, obviously, the person I was playing with hadn't played before, but she picked it up pretty quickly. Uh, and it was it was close. Unfortunately, I lost. Um, but it's still really good. And I just want to get my hands on some new decks, particularly some of the ones with the new expansion in Dark Tidings. By new, I say it was released earlier this year. <laughs> but um, no, Keyforge. I just love the fact that Keyforge exists because it's not tied to any particular IP. It's just its own thing. And it's just a fun premise. And I'm not really fussed about like deck building in terms of not as a gameplay mechanic, as like a trading card thing. Um, yeah, no. So more games similar to Keyforge. Count me in. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and it's interesting to see that they're just going, like I say, they've got a tabletop sim component to it, but for the most part, they're just going fully physical, like taking a digital yeah. card game onto the tabletop, like making actual cards. I think they said like the first set will have 15,000 cards, something like that. So uh... that's almost as many as Magic has had in its lifetime, I think. Whoa! Um, it's a lot that's of wild. cards, but obviously they need that number to use an algorithm to make all the different deck yeah, cards. Yeah, we'll so... the... it'll be the case of like, card games like this don't have don't really have a meta because you can't you can't do that with yeah this. you can't like put specific cards into your deck that are doing really well unless you yeah. go and hunt down decks that happen to have those cards have in. those it's cards in, like, thing. that's another thing that really draws me to it it's not like oh this is a winning formula this is exactly how obviously it's the case of some decks will inherently be better than others because they've just managed to you know uh, keyforge does a thing where it luckily because it has houses it has the house system like cards in each house are designed to combo with one another so that's why it does work with the random generator because you're not just going to get cards that don't work with other cards at all like and then of course when you're choosing a house every every turn you're choosing cards that are designed to work with one another like when whenever you do that so it's not like you're not going to get any combos whatsoever and these cards just do not work together. But it avoids the whole meta thing, which I also really appreciate because I've never been a huge fan of that because I think it does gatekeep people from, you know, being able to play well against others because they don't have exactly the cards they need to 
to win like consistency so consistently yeah. and but it's like I say, it's one of those things with magic as well like the way that magic cards have gone like you say like sometimes if you just straight up can't afford the card that's in the meta because the price has shot up to buy a i mean one. that or like i mean uh, uh like magic is a collectible card game so it's entirely booster based so it is luck a long time whether you even get those cards so it again that just adds the whole like sort of sense of unfairness i think you can sometimes get from games like pokemon or magic the gathering things like that so um yeah no i'm intrigued by this although i will say the art style looks very un just very yeah unremarkable yeah, it's like very generic fantasy yeah i'm yeah. not hugely into that like as much as keyforge can sometimes be a bit hit and miss at least it's interesting like Whereas this, eh, there's some dragons. Yeah, and I think so. So kind of similar to Keyforge's houses, there are factions within the Soulforge universe, and I think some of the deck cards are built around those. And they, they've insisted that you know, if you have, for instance, a vampire, uh, vampire lord, a zombie lord, you will get a load of zombies because you need those cards to bounce off each other and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm just, I'm just really intrigued to see someone else doing the algorithm thing because Trying it. Yeah. I felt like yeah. that was a really cool thing and people yeah. were like, oh, that's a cool idea. And I think Keyforge Key has not done magic or Pokemon numbers, like, but it's, I think it's doing relatively well, right? Uh, I, I mean, they're still I mean, they put out, yeah, they put out more sets, so. Like, it's, a, yeah. even, and Fantasy Flight don't have any, don't tend to support things that that aren't giving them money so yeah like, i think they said a while back they that they had like a million decks registered yeah, or something like that, which I is which is a, a big number you know assuming yeah. that they're not just kind of there's not some kind of background thing that they're missing there i think it is definitely servicing an audience who want to try card games but are are like put off by meta and by like having to build Depth, yeah. so just not knowing yeah. how so it's like those games yeah. still exist there are still plenty of those games out there if you want to go and play them yep. like we've we've all played magic and played like, we'll cover them like that, so yeah don't worry we'll be covering so, them we'll be playing them but it's just nice to see something different yeah uh there we are that was the the, the week's news let's roll on uh with a very slight link to this week's weekly segment thing that we do uh, so this week, uh, Duncan Rhodes of former Warhammer TV fame uh, and now of self-titled Painting Academy, um, basically just a very good Warhammer painter, does some really good YouTube tutorials. He's uh, launched his own paint range uh, mm. named after his technique, which is like two thin coats, which is kind of the his go-to bit of advice for painting models, uh, is to use two um... thin coats rather than one thick one. I will so, I will mention that uh, I have seen going around uh, on the, the Twitter and it's a very good uh, criticism mm -hmm. with the fact that some of the uh, some of the tones of the paints that are probably designed to be used to paint darker skin characters have been given names that are really gross and inappropriate. Yeah, they fall into the, it's like an unfortunately common thing in fancy paints where, yeah, like anything that isn't basically Caucasian, uh, like skin they, tone. Yeah, they have like dwarf skin and yeah. like elf Barbarian skin. Is one as well. Yeah, and it then... becomes like described through like either objects or just kind of, yeah, like Beast. very unpleasant terms. Beasts. Yeah. 
stuff. Yeah, so, it just like has dodgy connotations. So yeah, I'm not sure. It'd be if great if they could change that. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, quite a few people have been calling them out on that, and I kind of yeah. hope they listen to the criticism and because it is gatekeepy and it puts people off. Um, so sort that out, please. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Uh, but we here are instead going to come up with our own. Uh, paint names for kind of like the just the primary colors because obviously there there are a lot of colors out there. So I've I've written just down some kind of like very uh, classic yeah classic colors, like, colors. Yeah, colors. yeah. I'm adding. Um, Hold on. Because again, like a there are a lot of paint names out there that are just like just like very bad and very problematic, and even the better ones are often very generic and a bit dull. Mm. So we figured, hey, maybe we can do a better job. Uh, Maybe. Maybe. Uh, we, I don't know if we'll go through all of these, uh, but I wrote down a bunch anyway. Uh, so let's let's dive in, shall we? Uh, so, all right. First up, red. So I feel like what? we need, like, classically, it's like an adjective, right? It's like More blood specific, red. specific, or... though. What kind of red are we talking about? Well, we I think we can discuss that as we go. the tone, like, right? Nah, we can, we can just pick reds that we think are fair. Like, like in in the long term, we would have a but, wide but range, a complete spectrum of colors. So safety blanket red. Safety blanket. <laughs> this is my safety blanket. Yeah, that's quite comforting and nice. Um, or, I mean, that is a very blood red there, Lolis. It changes. Mm. Like it changes. Yeah, it changes. Um, red from being like a gory blood color to being a very comforting color. Oh, very nice. I like that. Um. Yeah, I mean, if we were talking like a darker, sort of richer red, I don't know. I'm, I'm always, I'm always like fond of like wine, sort of wine references. Mm. Maybe like a, like a, uh, like a Malbec. Do you think this <laughs> I'm is going to be really off <laughs> Do you think this is really going to be really off-putting for um, any colorblind people? This segment. Well, because they don't know colors. Colors are still colors. Like we can, we can go through the like basic colors. Like, like red doesn't stop being red, right? It's like even if you can't sometimes um, differentiate between different. Lonely is just giving you a look, Matt Jarvis. <laughs> I mean, well, tell it... that to the colorblind people. We're not showing colors on screen, but I mean, obviously, like I like I can't speak from the experience of uh, being colorblind, like of. So yeah, but like colors still exist. It's just uh... okay. Just saying. Anyway, <laughs> safety blanket red. I mean, go. yeah, I think it's the case of like here's a peek behind the curtain. Both Lolies and I aren't massive painters. Uh, and we're n neither of us are hugely into miniature painting, and like we're not hugely familiar with the kind of like names that would be given to paints. So now we're like, oh, we we don't know really what to compare it to. But uh, another little peek behind the curtain. Uh, it's been very very quiet this week in the old uh, tabletop community and industry world. So uh, at this point, we were kind of looking for a, a fun kind of thing to do. Um, 
but I feel like Matt Jarvis is potentially carrying a lot of this. I mean, chili it's red. just paint colours. Like, yeah, chili red's fine. Or like recording light red. Like, you know, that real, like, yeah. bright red that's like, don't come to this room because we're recording something. Yeah. Well, that's a very key image for us because when we don't see that, we're like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. something oh no something bad happened we've just wasted potentially an hour and we've got nothing how about loli's lipstick red Loli's like lipstick red yeah, yeah let's go for it because i feel like lipstick red is like a very uh familiar red for like a lot of people like a lot That's of people true. think of a very particular tone for lipstick mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah i can't i i can't carry red lipstick it does not suit me I will never, you... I will vow right here and right now that I will never change my lipstick so that everyone knows what color Loli's <laughs> lipstick yeah. is. Loli's will never wear another shade of lipstick. This is it. <laughs> this um, is it sorry, for my Lulies. life. I have to wear this when I'm sleeping. I have to wear this when I'm Whoa. swimming. I have to wear this all the time. Never not <laughs> wear it. All right, blue. <laughs> I I like, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. We'll, we'll need to license it, but I feel like Smurf blue. People know what, what mm. color a Smurf is, right? Like Smurfs are a very distinct kind of like baby blue. Yeah, they're not. Are they? Are they still culturally relevant? I don't know. Smurfs, when that's, when was I mean, that last? That's a good question. Yeah. I feel like... When was that last animated film that was really bad that yeah. came out? Yeah. Okay. That, oh. That's fair. Smurfs may be just outdated, but no, I don't know what color the lampies are, but. Of what? The lampies. Nobody remember the lampies? They lived in a streetlight. No. They had like a I fun song. I think you made this up. Yeah, I, I think, the lampies I as think a child. Matt has made this up. Okay, um, Gonzo Blue. Again. It's the colour no. of the Muppet Gonzo. Very, no. very specific cultural reference. We're not as licensing as, colours. As much as I love that. Gonzo, um, which I do love him very much because he's my favourite Muppet, and uh, he would be me if I was a Muppet, because uh, I love chickens. <laughs> uh, not in that way. <laughs> I don't have a chicken girlfriend. Um, uh, Gonzo! How about this, the blue is called, this is not green, it's blue. Because I have that fight all the time about a certain colour of blue that some people seem to think is actually like green. It's just like the dress kind of thing. Yeah, oh it's kind God. of like that, but oh. yeah, it's, this this colour is not green, it's blue. That's the name. <laughs> that will be something, the dress will be something that <laughs> will never, like, history will forget. But like for that, how long was it? Like week or something? For the it people was the who hottest... lived through it. Yeah, we. Yeah. I lived. Forget the dress. about forget about the pandemic. That dress though. The dress. Gonna, yeah, it's gonna be part of our history. You should just call the blue the dress blue. <laughs> to reference one of the the most uh, and like. And you said that the Smurfs would be like culturally <laughs> insignificant for this pain. Yeah, but, but you're I going with like an that, internet yeah. meme of like one. My week. thing is. My thing is funny, that's the difference. Like, hold on, I've actually got an example. Is this, oh, is wow. this an example? People about, are saying teal. I, don't, I, like, I can't see what colour that is. How about blue screen of death blue? What's that? Like, like when your computer crashes and you get that very uh, light, bright blue screen. Mm, yeah. Mm, mm. Bit nerdy, Matt. Yeah, a bit nerdy. 
Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, like, I can't We're making mainstream the, colors the here, Matt. We're yeah, we want to hit the popular, popular crowd. How about Ian's yoga from... mat blue? <laughs> We can't just we can't just base on objects in our homes. This we've got to have mass market appeal. Look, I'm the like the CEO of this newly founded paint company. Okay, well then it's called this is not green, it's blue. <laughs> That's what I'm calling it. Lodi's decided. I'm making a call. This is not green, it's blue. Yes. Yeah. Okay, fine. Well, like, I've been out because, I've been out because that will also be like if anyone is painting, right? And is like getting the colours and they're like, oh, okay, that well that's green. And then they see the label and they're like, oh no, that's not that's that's not green, it's blue. And then they'll know. It's yeah, it's, it's a called... foolproof marketing <laughs> plan. Yeah. Yeah, I think it should be called Neil Brain. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, next up. Can we call green. green that, Neil this Green? Is not... Neil Green Green. What's Neil Green? <laughs> what is that? Matt Jarvis is shaking his head. I don't know what that is. So... Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's it's referencing a director who has created some very interesting films, including basically everyone. He is a master hacker who somehow hacks into everything. And then at one point, he's in like a courtroom bringing all the bad people to justice. Uh, it's an experience, Neil Breen films. Okay, um, that's really super neat. Yeah, so no like one's going to know what that is. Okay, green. It, it just made me laugh. Um, green. Uh, broad beans, because like pea green is very oh. common, but I feel like specifically the colour of a broad bean. Broad beans are white. They're oh. like kind of, they're like very light green. Nah. Oh, like... <laughs> nah. Why wouldn't you go, um, what about the P? No, those are peas. We're not saying peas. Monch two? Peapods. Monch two green. Yeah. It sounds fancy. Pickle! Pickle green! <gasps> Tim the Goblin green! What? Okay, sure. The thing is, we wanted to veer away from Goblin green because that's a uh, common... Yeah, but we're saying Tim the, Tim, Tim the Goblin green. Tim the Goblin green. Monch two. Orange too green. Well, at some point this just looks like. What about just blood. what about just Tim Green? Then we don't Tim get Gr goblin. Tim Green. <laughs> Lee Hiscock says Tim's magical green. There you go. I, love. Yeah. I think that's something that's not paint. <laughs> no, Matt Jarvis call it that. How about um, little Tim's green? <laughs> no. Please. Little Tim's, <laughs> little Tim's special green. No, this this goes one of two ways, and neither of those ways, neither of those ways is paint. <laughs> okay, I've got Marge too green. No, imagine I'm no fun. <laughs> Tim's magical green will get us arrested, and no, like... it won't. But this no. is knowable, and people will know that's a color. Okay. Fine, Tim's Tim's magical green is, yes. is in this document. Okay, Tony perfect. Morris does say, to be frank, he was a spore druid. Yes, he was. <laughs> uh, purple. Uh, I punched you in the face. I punched you in the face. Purple. Punched you in the face. Purple. Punchy I feel purple. Like bru bruise purple is like a very specific bruise like. Purple. I like it. It's, it's um. I think purple. I would pick that because I'd be like, oh, that's like. 
quite dark and I like dark things, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah. it's like the grim dark fantasy. Yeah, Lonely's is a well-known edgelord, it's true. <laughs> okay, edgelord purple, yeah. I mean, um, if you remember back to the character I played in Blades of uh, Dark, you'll remember that I am the most dark character of us all. Wait, what? I, I played, played it myself. Elf. Yeah, that was a joke. Yeah. I played the least yeah. dark character. Oh, okay, I thought you... Okay. Well, you're like, hey, I've got credentials. How about how about bruising purple, like I N at the end, like no, oh, yeah, like, I N apostrophe, yeah, like, yeah bruising purple. Bruise purple. Yeah, I like that. All right, rather than like aubergine, you could just have the aubergine emoji. Oh, how about like, bruising for a bruising purple? Oh, sure, yeah, just sure. Yeah, lovely's night about Tim's special green, and then you talk about aubergine emoji. I just don't understand. I feel like we're giving. A different i feel like we have a we have to adhere to a different standard than you do aubergine is purple tim's magical green sounds like weed okay what color yeah, is what, yellow what's aubergine emoji yellow yeah but this is the standard um okay hydration yeah you're healthy well hydrated yellow <laughs> yeah. yeah yes i like that Oh god. <laughs> okay, orange. Hmm. Sunset oh. palette. Sunset palette orange. Hmm. I don't know, I was just making a reference to Wills' obsession with the sunset yeah. palette. But... Orange. I mean um, I mean I've not had a Watson in a while. Highlighter? Highlighter. Can we get a branded deal with Watsits? Aren't you glad it's not green? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Matt Jarvis's face of just, Ugh. oh my god, I'm so tired. I definitely think it should be Aren't You Glad? Something. Okay. Something. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people are agreeing with you in the They're chat. Agreeing. I didn't even see I that when I said orange, it. Orange, orange, you glad is, is fine. Okay, orange, you glad. That's, oh, I like that's it. That's yeah. fun. It can, it can be whatever orange color after that. I don't care. Okay. Um, all right, gray. Ooh. Uh, well, the color of Matt Jarvis's hair after this podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, um, I was trying to... Yeah? I can't think. <laughs> okay. People are saying Dorian Gray. <laughs> Dorian Gray. It just it never such a deep a deep yeah. cut. <laughs> the paint oh. never goes off, but somewhere there's a paint pot that just slowly gets more and more dried out. How about oh, oh grey there? Like instead of oh hey there. <laughs> oh god. Gravy train. So many Oh goodness. Gravy train. I mean it makes yeah. no sense because like Can we say gravy choo -choo, not gray. choo choo gravy train? Choo -choo yeah, gravy train. I, I with lollies. Okay, and it's yeah, and it's the specific color of the smoke that comes out of a train's like a steam yeah. train. Obviously, uh, choo -choo we don't have to even say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, they start. Gravy train, choo choo gravy train. <laughs> That's yeah, a lot of okay. Y's in one word. <laughs> okay, we'll do two more. Uh, silver and gold. So silver first, like metallic silver. It's kind of like gray. Okay, we'll call it that. Yeah. Lonely's calling it call shiny it out, gray. <laughs> yeah, can we call it shiny gray? Shiny gray. Yeah. <laughs> I like that a lot. 
What about wait? I'm trying to I'm trying to think of like an and shiny old, yellow. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to think of an older celebrity <laughs> who is like like super hot, and then we can be like, oh, like silver. Brendan Fraser. Fox. Like a silver fox grey type. I don't know. I'm just trying to mix up from from the shiny. The shiny. I like the shiny. <laughs> I think all the shinies should be shiny, whatever color their shinies are. <laughs> I got like that. We should name it. Yeah, we should name it after an older celebrity who's who's just doing it. Ah, oh, Brendan think. Grazer says truth in chat. <laughs> But that just sounds like another grey. Shiny grey, you know what that means. Because yeah. it's shiny. I, yeah. think, I think Matt and I are on board for shiny grey here. Yeah. Lee Hiscock says DeVito. No, Danny DeVito's silver dream. Uh, gold is shiny yellow, sure. Uh, unless you've got a suggestion for Matt gold. Jarvis. No, Matt I like Jarvis. shiny yellow. Matt Jarvis. Hello. Unless that's what you're planning on calling no, the gold sign, which no. I'm flattered. You should call this. You should call the silver Danny Vito's special silver, or something. Danny Vito's silver dream. I'm trying to come up with paint names, not like blends of weed. Magical green and Danny Vito's special silver. I think Mian has a talent in uh, naming weed. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like we're in the wrong miniature paints. We're in the wrong business here. <laughs> We need to cross over. Okay. <laughs> uh, Lonely's has added that Dicebreaker Pink should be in this. NPS. Yeah, or actually somebody said in chat earlier, I think it was Aiden folks said um uh blobby pink, which actually is a way better way better Ooh. suggestion than Dicebreaker mm. Pink. I was trying to stay on brand, but you know, my brand's blobby, so Well, you know, as this is collectively Dicebreaker. <laughs> I'd like to think we're going to prioritise. I've like, had enough blobby for a lifetime. Blobby, I don't need blobby yeah. paint. Shannon Withers says Paul Hollywood in 2014. <laughs> <laughs> Simply for the silver one, I think, maybe. I don't know. All right, let's move on. Uh, we've got great. time for a well couple done. of quick questions. Yeah, we well, got for it. We well muddled through. Uh, so, coming to you soon, that range of paints. Uh, you know what? I'll quickly run through them. Uh, it's Lowly's lipstick red. This is not green, it's blue. Tim's magical green. Cruising for yeah. a bruising purple. Well hydrated yellow. <laughs> Orange you glad. Choo choo gravy tray. Shiny grey, shiny yellow, and dice breaker pink. Mm. Can I? Do I have permission to post that on our Twitter? No explanation. Um, or I can explain if you like. Leave it because this will. I need to put this up on Monday anyway. So I will use some of it oh. then. Okay. Please. Access uh, denied. <laughs> uh, all right. Lulies, would you like to read this one from Jacob, please? Jacob says, this was from chat, by the way, what tabletop games benefit from having a mascot or a lead figure, like video games have with Master Chief, Lara Croft, Mario, etc.? I will say, I saw this question earlier, and I would say no. Well, to be honest, I think we kind of have one in the shape of meeples and i kind of mm. think meeples is better than um as a, as a, like a, a figurehead if you will because it's it's almost like more um androgynous and like it's it's not like you know it's not 
you know, doesn't have like a certain gender or skin color or anything like that. It's just like a shape that represents board games in general, I think. And I think that's um that's my answer. I think that's my yeah, answer. I guess it's not owned by a particular company either, so yeah. Just everyone can use it. I mean, I don't I've I'm I've been on the record before as saying that I don't particularly love meeples, but I think you're right. It's like it's actually quite a nice kind of generic shape mm. uh that like different publishers can use and different creators can use so it kind of mm. yeah it kind of decentralizes what people think of when they think of board games which is quite nice mm. yes i mean to me the ultimate board game mascot is rhino hero our lord and savior um you know what what is there not to like it's a superhero uh saves people rhino climbs up the buildings is cute run a hero that's my mascot anyway that's kind of <laughs> who i think of <laughs> i think run it run a hero would be a bit better because i think the sad truth is that if anything probably the most recognizable mascot from board games is the monopoly man right uh rich uncle Pennybags. yeah and but most kick, people would recognize yeah that no kick him off the tower Why? Yeah, exactly. Reckon yeah a plain old to get the guillotine out oh, his character yeah yeah, sorry, yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah. guillotine off... the Monopoly man and put. Yeah, Rhino Hero is the, the people's. Yeah. Rhino Hero is the people's character. Rhino. Yeah, Rhino <laughs> Hero. The, the hero of our hearts. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't. There's. It is true. There's. There, there's very few. I think because board games more so than any medium, it's more about like the players, right? Is you don't necessarily take over characters a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. You are just, you know, you're essentially yourself. You're, it's like, like you're playing yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and even in RPGs, like you create a character, so it's not like there's one consistent character mm -hmm. a lot of the time. Like D and D has some of its specific is, characters out of the other lore, but I think for me personally, it's one of the reasons <clears> why I'm so like kind of like more into board games than I am into video games because I do prefer having my own thing like when i play video games me sometimes the enjoyment of that game is ruined for me by the game dictating like how my character would like react to a certain situation like if, if you know an npc said something to my character and it's built into the game that my character then responds in a certain way and i'm like well that's not really how i want to respond and not how i would respond i find that quite hard sometimes the fact that it's like so baked in and it's one of the things i really like about board games because while there might be, like, in a specific game, there might be a way to ideally play a situation, sometimes I'm like, well, screw you, I'm going to do it, even though it's worse for me, I'm going to do it this way just because I want to, like, change the way I want to do things. And I, I think I like that freedom of, of, like, being able to play yourself or play whoever you want in whatever the situation or scenario is. Yeah, agreed. I think, yeah, you're right, it's like... Although there are exceptions, because obviously, like, artwork doesn't always reflect people that actually play games. Like, it can be quite, like, exclusionary a lot of the mm. time. But for the most part, games themselves don't often have, like, characters or set kind of, like, like you say, like, representations of the characters around the table on the board. You just kind of see, like, a top-down thing of, like, here's your farm, but you're not a specific farmer. Like, you don't necessarily look a certain way or talk a certain way. So, yeah. So, I think um, a meeple is a good... It's it's not a bad one to have. Like it's it's generic enough where it can reflect like a large number of kind of different things. Um, all right, thanks, Jacob. 
uh, Mian, would you like to read this one from King Jut, which I believe we got over email? And if you, of course, would like to email us with your own question, you can email us at podcast at dicebreaker.com. <laughs> he knows now. He's glued in. Uh, I threw you off by doing it between the two questions. Uh, but yeah, Mian, if you'd like to read this one from King Jut, please. Yeah, yeah. King Jut says, hi. I want to know when is the best time of year to buy tabletop role-playing games. Also, do certain companies have certain days of the year for sales? For instance, I know that Palladium always has an amazing Christmas bundle. Well, uh, I believe that Renegade, for example, Renegade Game Studios currently has a sale on. I'm not 100% sure if the RPGs are involved in that. I think they are. I think it's for Labor Day, uh, right? Yeah. Labor Day, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, well, for one thing, you can check uh, dicebreaker.com as we uh, regularly cover deals, bundles, and sales in the uh, tabletop gaming world. Uh, I don't know if there's a specific time. I mean, for example, coming up uh, next month, there's Free RPG Day, uh, oh. which is, yeah, which takes place, I believe, in October. Is it the 16th, maybe? Um, but it's basically uh, an event that uh, takes place online and in local stores, depending on where you live, although it is international, where you can go in and you can get uh, free, like, quick start uh, kits or, like, campaigns, adventures, things like that. Um, yeah, October 16th. Um, there is an article about it on the website right now. Or you can just go to Free RPG Day. And that can kind of hopefully get you started on some RPGs. Uh, otherwise, Matt Jarvis, you, you're, you know, tied into the industry. <laughs> you, you've got your your fingers on the pulse of the the industry. When when the best time to play to buy tabletop RPGs? I think generally it's around it is around holidays because that's when most publishers tend to have sales. So obviously Ooh. Black Friday, mm -hmm. like a lot of folks put stuff on sale around then like us holidays like labor day because a lot of the publishers are us based um obviously in the run-up to christmas they're often sales or just following christmas for the new year it's kind of what you'd expect from looking at any other like uh like retail industry i think a lot of the time because there isn't there's often not just a like outside of something like free rpg day there's not like an international tabletop rpg day that has that kind of clout so I think generally it's the times you'd expect with everything else when everything else goes on sale as well. Um, and there's not a lot of rhyme and reason to the industry a lot of the time. Like things come out here, there and everywhere throughout the year. Um, you obviously see things come out around Gen Con, but that's, that tends to be brand new games. Um, but a lot of the time, if you are going to conventions, obviously when it is uh, safe to do so and when you're comfortable doing so, that's often a good time to pick up RPGs as well, because a lot of um, publishers will have kind of like show deals or they'll have things mm. that they may not make available elsewhere. Um, and as Charlie Effridge Nunn points out, uh, Bundle of Holding as well. And like obviously Humble Bundle does some RPG stuff. Um, there are various kind of sites like that that just have periodic deals for things. Like I think Drive for RPG does kind of occasional yeah. sales as well. So yeah. yeah, it's just kind of, yeah, keep, keep eyes out to the regular places, but... I don't think there's any uh, super secret to it. Yeah, we regularly cover Humble Bundles, so please go for us when you get Humble Bundle. Yeah. 
shall we do this very quick last one from Ryan Anthony Lowley's, please, following up on something we were discussing Ryan earlier. Anthony Lowley's? Any relation of mine? Um, Ryan Anthony in chat um, was asking when we're in the middle of a discussion, they asked, um, does this mean it's time for publishers to look for more localised production instead of looking to Asia? Potential for environmental and now economic benefits? Um, hmm. That's a good question. I don't know how, obviously we were talking about the the rise in like containers going from like five grand to ten grand. Is Would it make more sense, for example, for UK publishers to publish in the UK? Is the problem that they still need to then ship maybe potentially to the US and other countries? Um, I, I suspect know. that the price of moving everything to like a more localized place would still probably outweigh the increased shipping price, particularly because most publishers will expect it to come down. Obviously, it's it's spiked at the moment, mm -hmm. but long term, I think like uprooting um, production um, and trying to move it to like a more localized place in, for instance, like Europe or or America, would I would suspect outweigh the costs of doing so anyway. Um, which I would guess is why a lot of publishers don't do that. I know that there are there are definitely localized distribution centers. So a lot of Kickstarters, for instance, um, will send things to, for instance, like a European distribution center and then like a, a US distribution center. But I think production is still largely um, often centered in in places such as China. Um, but yeah, it would be it would be interesting to know off the back of this kind of shipping uh, crisis that we've had recently and the material costs whether it has any long-term effects on production or whether it is, I say, just kind of a, a really tough, like, like undeniably, like a very tough time at the moment. Um, but I, from what I understand, that's affecting all industries as well, because it's not just shipping containers for board games, it's shipping containers mm -hmm. for everything. Um, but, you know, we're seeing more and more kind of decentralization in terms of production uh, and publishing, particularly in, in things like tabletop RPGs, where folks are able to produce short runs of like booklets or short runs of books uh in kind of like local you know production facilities or, or even just going down to you know a print shop and printing out like 200 copies to send to backers um so again like maybe that there will be some kind of shifting from the the lower end of like a lot of indie creators uh as well mm, um, but i suspect I mean... for, for the big companies it will continue to be cheapest to just do what they've always done and to kind of ride out this rough period for the time being. Mm, there's some really interesting discussion about the environmental impact and also what mm. could be done to kind of curve that. Uh, in the interview I did with Andrew Navarro, who is uh, a lead or founder of Earthborn Games, uh, which is basically a publisher specifically designed to create board games in a more environmentally friendly way um so if you want to read more about that you can go and read that interview but there were some interesting it was an interesting discussion to have as someone who is very much aware of the kind of environmental costs of board games for example if people get rid of them throw them away that is a bit, essentially a, a form of waste they're no cardboard might eventually you know degrade depending on whether the cardboard has plastic on it and then obviously plastic miniatures you know i don't know how long they stick around years and years and years presumably so there is a, a, a an environmental cost both with shipping 
creating and with keeping board games. Uh, it's why it's always good to, you know, pass board games you don't want on to charity shops or other people. Never throw this stuff away because, yeah, that's got to go somewhere and it's often a landfill, which isn't great. So, uh, but to be honest, the most environmental impact that the industry has is in transporting, I believe, in transporting and creating games because obviously all that paper and cardboard got to come from somewhere and also... Uh, They've got to ship those board games somehow, and obviously that creates emissions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah. it is something that that really needs to be considered now. It cannot be ignored anymore. Like there is a cost, uh, and you know we are seeing the impact of climate change already. Um, it is it is important for especially larger distributors and publishers to take note of these things and start considering what they can do to to help the situation but yeah you wonder whether something like the cardboard shortage will kind of speed up uh finding an alternative into, yeah exactly yeah. which which obviously if that then uh is more environmentally friendly as well that's I mean, kind of the, I mean the fact it it shouldn't take that for them to get there and definitely like some companies have made in ways like i think osprey's like with the stuff like harbor the german game company i think has like quite a good track record with sustainability but there's so much more that can be done like you say like particularly Again, like plastic miniatures yeah navarro was talking about fungus or something like apparently there's yeah. a kind of fungus that you can turn into like a physical you can mold it into like a physical box <laughs> so there i think there are alternatives it's just whether companies want to invest the money and the time into it and just like a lot of stuff with environmentalism <laughs> there you go yeah, you hope that the industry will change before it's too late because it's already kind of too late. It's getting there. Um, so, yes. But, yeah, thank you for your questions, everyone. And thank mm. you all for listening and or watching. Uh, if you happen to catch this on the audio version, we are live every Friday from 2 p.m. at BST, which is like kind of what it is right now, but not quite because we're obviously two hours into this. But you can catch us live and chat in the chat and put your questions and play along with each week's game. But that's us for now. Thank you for joining us. Alex Lowley's, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me and for commenting on how lovely my lipstick is today. It's very nice. Yeah, yeah it looks fantastic. Good enough, I would say, to inspire a paint colour. I thought you were uh, just leaving it at that. Good enough. enough. <laughs> Good enough. No, no, no. And Alex Meehan, of course, thank you for being here. Uh, also, I would say, what a fantastic T-shirt you're wearing, Alex Meehan. Uh, oh, oh, of, this old thing. This old thing. Part yeah. of the new Dicebreaker merch range, um, which you may have seen uh, pictures of Lolis and Liv on social media as well, wearing some of the new stuff. Mm -hmm. um, we've got some really fun designs. We are models. Uh, the wonderful M. Holler, who, uh, who uh, works with us, uh, did some fantastic designs yeah, around like, Werewolf. This, and, really good. Yeah, like just general kind of like hobby stuff. Um, yeah, you should you go and go and check it out. There's a link on the dicebreaker.com website uh, to get to the merch page. And I believe there's so a link below as well in the description. Yes, there will hopefully be one in the video description as well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's really really good stuff. Um, but that really is the end of the podcast. Thank you all. Uh, thank you both for being here. We will be back next Friday. But until then, look after yourselves, stay safe out there, and have a lovely day. Goodbye. Bye.